Before we get to the show, we have a request. The media, as you knew it, is dead. Fox is dead. So don't turn on Fox all day and listen to them drone in the background in your living room during the evening, afternoon hours. Before we get to the show, we have a request. The media, as you knew it, is dead. Fox is dead. So don't turn it on and listen to it in the afternoon and during the evening hours till you go to bed, as most people used to do in the living room. Support free media. There's not many channels out there. There's the Epic Times, Gateway Pundit, a few others, but there's CDM. We are a growing global media conglomerate. We have websites and reporters all over the world, 12 at last count. The Colorado Free Press is coming on next week, and we're opening another paper in Montana after that. So the cavalry is coming, but we need your support. We have a no-ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. You don't see any ads. We know people don't like ads on their phones. They don't like pop-ups. Well, you can do something about it. So when you're sitting around the fire when you're older and your grandchild asks you, what did you do during the Great People's War, Papa? You can tell them, I helped CD Media and I helped Free Media save the Republic. So go to our channels, go to cdm.press, go to the Georgia Record, go to wherever you can find CD Media. We have a lot of websites and simply sign up for our no ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. It's not a lot. There's a discount for an annual subscription. So help us out, support free media, and do something. You know, there was 3% that did something during the American Revolution. Be the 3%. Help CD Media get our no-ad subscriptions. Thank you. Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. This is our final convention update prior to the convention starting next week, actually only in a few days. I'm here with my co-host Bill or Bill Quinn, and uh, we've got a couple great guests again today. As always, we've got Brant Frost, who will give us an insider's update as to what's going on as we approach the convention, and also our favorite, one of our favorite guests, Garland Favorito, who is going to talk about uh, what's happening from the election integrity space as the convention approaches. As all Always, please sign up for our no ad subscriptions. This is really important right now. We have been debanked. We've been deplatformed. We've had all kinds of things happen. DDoS attack. It's very expensive to combat all this. We really need your support. Go and sign up for our no ad subscriptions. Tucker's back, but CDM is much more broad and global, and we will bring you news you're not going to find anywhere else, especially at the Georgia Record. Bill, thanks for coming on again today. Tell us what you're hearing as we roll into the convention. So you can tell from uh, the groups around Georgia that the excitement's building. Uh, everybody has their uh, set of issues, set of objectives for uh, the convention. Um, and there, there are a few concerns that are, that are uh, top of mind as we approach uh, the actual beginning of the convention. So uh, one happens to be the method of voting. Uh, people are talking about that uh, uh, certain factions may want to execute what are called standing votes for certain selections or, or elections during the convention. Standing votes means that people literally stand in place and uh, representatives walk up and down the aisles and count people standing. Um, and the alternative to that would be uh, the other uh, focus, which is paper ballots. 
And so people are a bit concerned about the standing uh, vote in many cases because they, they're concerned that uh, because it's uh, beholden to folks actually making a, a walking down the aisle and making a count of people standing, they could miscount, they could lose track, something could happen, and they may not be accurate. Paper, of course. Yeah, especially when these votes are very uh, critical as to right. who's going to control the party. Yeah. That's right. These votes are going to determine the leadership of the GOP party um, for the uh, for the coming year. So um, you will hear, I think, as we get into the convention itself, discussion on that. People will have different uh, different views. And then secondly, uh, we've already heard about some of the r proposed rules changes and uh, ideas are crystallizing on both sides of that. So um, one of the key ones is whether uh, the delegation gets to uh, determine whether someone is um, literally qualified to run as a Republican in an upcoming primary. And of course, that will be key as we get into 2024. Um, some folks feel that that's a good choice uh, because it allows us to potentially um, uh, identify folks that may not actually be acting in, in line with Republican values and certainly the platform. Um, on the other side of the equation, folks um, are concerned about the idea of a relatively small number of people. Uh, the convention is about 1,600 delegates or a little bit more, uh, being able to determine whether somebody can run or not. Is that, is that in fact correct or should it be left up to the voting public? So we'll hear a lot more about that. So uh, we're, getting, we're getting close on time and uh, we, are, uh, we are undoubtedly going to see some very interesting events over the coming uh, now four days. Well, Brant, and I'm sure possibly Garland will give us his uh, opinion on this vote. To me, it's somewhat concerning because, uh, you know, there's always unintended consequences, and this could easily be flipped around and used against somebody else that we may want to get in there. We've, we haven't had really good success or trust or, uh, you know, good relations with the party. I'm talking about the grassroots. So why would we in, give them a weapon to stop people from, from running? This is, And we already have a constitutional process called a primary that the people select who they want to run. So I, I find this, uh, you know, somewhat strange. But we'll we'll listen to Brant and and also Garland. Anything else, Bill, before we get into our next interview? No, that'll be it. We're excited to be part of the uh, part of the event. Yeah, and we're going to be giving live coverage uh, and all kinds of different updates from the convention. We don't really know what's going to happen, so we're just going to be there, roll with the punches, and make sure the public knows exactly what's going on. So why don't we uh, now? We sat down with Brant earlier in the week. We're going to. Talk with Brant Frost. So we had the uh, chance to speak again with Brant Frost uh, prior to the Republican convention here in Georgia on the 9th and 10th of June. And uh, Brant, thanks for coming on the show again. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, what are you hearing as the convention approaches? Uh, we've, we're getting a lot of different uh, and, and people have a lot of different ideas of what's really important, what they want to get done, what they're really concerned about going into the convention. We'd like to hear what you're hearing on the ground. Well, thank you. As a candidate for office, my, my top uh, effort has been, of course, to get reelected. And in that effort, we are seeing great success. The latest poll has us ahead by 13 points over all three of our opponents combined. We're at, 40, we're at 43 to 16 to 11 to four. And so we're looking at about 30% for them put together uh, and uh, 16, 11 and, and three, of course, combines to 30. We're at 43 with 27% undecided. So we feel very good about our chances to win on the first ballot in Columbus, thanks to the support of 
all the folks around the state, and mainly due to our uh, to our track record as having been the most active and uh, pro MAGA uh, officer on the executive committee to the extent that we I've been willing to challenge, you know, elected Republicans in behind the scenes and help raise money for candidates and get candidates to run for office and train them. Uh, there's three incumbents running for office, and I think it's noteworthy that we of the three. I'm the only one who is, you know, who's leading in their race. There's two other incumbents. Both of them are running behind in the polls right now. And I think that's due to the fact that even though half the delegates are almost half the delegates are first timers and almost 70 percent have gotten involved since the 2020 election, uh, even despite that, despite the fact that most of the delegates are new, I have already built a track record, a trusted track record with our delegates as being someone who has the experience and the drive to do what needs to be done. I have the fire in the belly to try to challenge the establishment, while at the same time, I know the difference between, I know actually I have a track record of knowing how to do it. Uh, we've been, my family has been in this fight for over 30 years and we're very, very committed to the long haul. I'm committed to it and I know that my children will follow along and continue the fight after me and we'll continue it until this republic is restored. So I, I feel that we're in a good shape, and I think that the candidates that are sort of running on the informal uh, ticket that is developed, the ticket endorsed by John Frederick, the ticket endorsed by the Georgia Republican Assembly, is likely to win. Uh, but I'd say probably the biggest issue that's going to come up at the convention is most debate and substance after the election of the chairman and the officers is going to be whether or not the rule change, which Alex Johnson has proposed, is adopted. And it's become very prescient because of the vote on the debt limit. If you look at how the Republicans, how McCarthy caved, did a terrible job negotiating, it was almost as if he didn't even try. And then how, when you saw how t the vast majority of Republicans voted for this horrible idea, it's made the idea of making it a little easier to, to defeat these guys in the next election very salient. You know, think about all the people who are as mad as can be, like from the old movie, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a way you can actually do something about it. I think a lot of people next week are going to think, Remember the debt ceiling debacle, the betrayal that the congressional Republicans did for us. Our response is we're going to go and vote for that rule because it's going to make it easier for us to get them out of office next year. So I think that is going to be the most substantive, consequential vote, uh, apart from the leadership of the party, whether or not the grassroots can have an easier time getting true America first candidates into office. I think that is the biggest issue at stake next week by far. So we were talking before we started here that one of the issues, uh, the state committeemen, some of them are saying they they weren't able to get the list of other state committeemen and uh, we're upset about that. But I think that's been resolved, right, Bill? But what about that, Brad? Do you have any thoughts on that situation? Well, yeah, well, exactly. And, and a great example. I mean, you know, we have all the we have all these issues that are of that are not totally insignificant, but, you know, pale compared to the you know, question of whether or not we can get five more MAGA congressmen from Georgia. You know, we got mm -hmm. three members of the Freedom Caucus right now, uh, Clyde Collins and uh, Clyde Collins and Green and, and mm -hmm. McCormick is sort of caucus adjacent, Freedom Caucus adjacent. He's not a member, but he votes with them most of the time. We could get four more from Georgia if this rule passes next week. And that, of course, is the most you know, that that everything else is very small by comparison. But to answer your question directly, for years, there were people who wanted to make it harder to contact fellow state committee members, and I always fought that, and we opposed that. And it was only until 2021 when we began to get a lot of threats from the left after the election. 
it was only at that point when the committee voted, I think almost unanimously, to remove the list from the state website and to make it a bit more and to make it provided to state committee members, but to not provide it to the general public. Um, and now, of course, it is fairly easy to get in touch with most people in the, like I, my information is publicly available off the main officers information publicly available. But basically all you have to do to get a copy of the list is to either be a state committee member or know someone who is a state committee member who be willing to share it with you and who trusts you to use it responsibly. Um, there's, and that's not extremely hard to do. Um, but basically it was not, it was not a matter of, of uh, obscuring access to it from our people for the grassroots. It was a matter of protecting our grassroots state committee members against it, against threats from the left. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, and like I said, anyone can get a copy if they just have a state committee member who trusts them enough to know they want to meet, that they won't give it to the to the Democrats. Yeah. So uh, if I could, I'm sorry, Brian. Go ahead and finish. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for letting me. <laughs> thank you. For letting me <laughs> no, that's kind of long. Could I ask a follow up question on the debt ceiling? So um, you mentioned Freedom Caucus. You mentioned um, you know the the folks that that uh, broke for it. There seem to be, if I'm reading the tea leaves in the people and groups that I'm talking to, there's some questions about some folks that joined McCarthy and they're calling it caving to, you know, to the debt ceiling. Are you surprised by any of the folks that went along with it? And do you have a theory about why they might have done so? I think that you're probably referring to one specific member who voted for it from Georgia. Um, the, and, but I know there are others like Representative Massey, who is one of the best guys in Washington, he voted for it as well. I don't, I'm not sure why he did. My best theory is that he thought that this issue, which was going to pass, probably pass anyway, and was not the hill to die on at this particular moment, given that there's other investigations that they're trying to do, that he's trying to do uh, right now. Um, that would be my best guess, that he just, that he saw this as not the single that the results of this, you know, because if you think about it from the point of view of, okay, we are, we've got 20 trillion plus in unpayable debt. At this point, I don't think anyone thinks that this debt will ever be discharged apart from default or, you know, massive, you know, inflation. Um, at this point, you know, the last chance we had to actually deal with this debt was maybe 2017. It was probably 2011. At this point, they're just trying to manage a debt that's never going to get paid back. And therefore, the question of, okay, should this be the hill to die on? And maybe Massey's mind was, should this be the hill to die on? Whether or not we have 20, we're 23 trillion in debt or 25 trillion, you know, that's an argument over degrees at that point, which is not the kind of, it's not like we're going to create another Patriot Act or another Department of Homeland Security or, mm -hmm. another, or we're going to, or another, you know, NDAA, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act in 2012. Those of your folks who were Ron Paul supporters who watching this will remember in 2012, that was a big issue. You know, the ability in the National Defense Authorization Act for indefinite detainment of American citizens and many other issues in 2011, that was a serious issue. Mm -hmm. So I think perhaps Massey just, in his mind, this was not the, the make or break issue. Um, and, okay. you know, there's, there's a reasonable case to be made for that. I can't speak to why others voted for it. For most of them, it's just because they're part of the McCarthy team, you know. Yeah, uh, I understand. So. Uh, Todd, back to you. Well, I think you're talking about Marjor Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think we're all... I'll go ahead and say it. And uh, so that's was concerning that she's been with McCarthy all along. I agree with you. I don't Macar I don't think McCarthy even tried to negotiate this. I think it was put there for a reason. And what concerns a lot of people is uh, why she helped. 
But, um, you know, that the consequences of that will play out in her own, you know, future as, and I don't think there's any justification for this because it funds the deep state oh, yeah. uh, for multiple years and we can't uh, stop it. Unless neither, neither do I, neither do I, I would, I would, I would not have voted for it and I would have, and I, I can't see any, I can't see any reason to vote for it. There is, I'm, I'm, there are some members like Con Congressman Massey who, mm -hmm. because of his long service, uh, his long service, I'm willing to just, you know, give him, give him a mulligan on it. So like everyone's entitled to one or two bad decisions, particularly when the decision, the consequences are not that grave in the grand scheme of things compared to what it might've been and when it was going to pass anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, again, just being realistic, realistic, we have an unpayable debt, 25 trillion north of 25 trillion, I believe now. And they're arguing about whether or not to add a couple more trillion to it. I mean, if we were talking about 1 trillion to 5 trillion, that's a lot, but you're talking about basically adding more fun fed funding money a little bit more like 10 percent more to an already unpayable debt um this this is not this is you know this is not like it was in the 80s when you were running up unprecedented deficits so yeah i, I hate to i hate to be a little jaded about it but it's just you know you talk to ordinary americans there's you know the cost of groceries the cost of housing the cost of getting a used car so if you're on the southwest in the southwest the flood of people, this, you know, this invasion we're experiencing in the Southwest, these are things that are far more pressing to them than whether or not Washington changes a five to an eight on an already unpayable debt. So back to the convention for a minute. Um, you know, we had another announcement yesterday that now Carrie Lake on top of the other planned uh, speakers is joining the, uh, joining the busload of folks that are going to speak at the convention. Uh, what's your feeling on this? Are you surprised by the folks that are, Anning up for some reason, I don't seem to recall this many folks, you know, parachuting into uh, Georgia to get on the dais um, or get in, get on the podium uh, well, in eight, the past. Well, eight years ago at the Georgia State Convention, Marco Rubio was there. Ted Cruz was there. I think Scott Walker might have been there, too. But definitely Cruz and Rubio were there speaking to the state convention. And. I believe Rubio spoke at our, one of our, our dinner on Friday night. Cruz spoke on the Saturday of the convention. And we may have had one or two other, but I know it was those two at least. And so this is not unusual to have presidential candidates. Of course, Donald Trump being a former president, as well as being a presidential candidate, is, of course, makes this a particularly historic event. It's the first time a Republican president has ever spoken to a state convention, at least in 20 years, possibly ever. And then, of course, you also have the other candidates you have, Vivek Ramaswamy, you have um, Asa Hutchinson, and of course Carrie Lake is not a candidate, but she is seen as on the on the short list to be on Trump's as Trump's running mate in 2024, as okay. we've all heard those rumors. Mm -hmm. And of course, she's replacing Mike Pence, who's expected to announce his candidacy for president on the CNN. So it's it's I think that I think it's interesting. I think the overall, you know, Hutchinson, who is you know, no one really takes his candidacy seriously, but if you put aside Hutchinson. Basically, I think what you see is you see the the MAGA and MAGA adjacent candidates, the people who are appealing to the base, speaking, you know, wanting to speak and be. And they were all invited. But the ones who accepted it, Trump, Vivek, Kerry, there's a pattern here. They're all appealing to the MAGA base. And I think yeah. that's a great sign that Georgia is attracting people like that to speak at our convention. Because, again, we invited them all. But the fact that 
the you know the ones who came or the ones who are appealing most strongly to the MAGA base is a sign that they know their constituency. They know who is going to be sitting in those chairs. Mm -hmm. So they're they're just they're uh, and so I I take that as a great tribute to our delegates that our state is known as being a very MAGA America First party at the grassroots level. That that brings up one more question. I'll toss it back to you next, Todd. The you know Trump's coming into town to speak to Georgians, and there's many. Um, that have seen Georgia as part of the problem for you going on four years ago, part of maybe a continuing problem even be even before that. And it seems, you know, we've got, uh, you know, the DA in South Fulton um, gunning for him, trying to come up with uh, as um, you know, as New York did trying to come up with some charges if she can to, to charge him. And it's, it kind of strikes me as, um, you know, pretty courageous to to come into town and be right in the face of the folks that are trying to trying to call you wrong. How, how do you how do you read that? That's very true. Uh, fortunately, the um, fortunately we're having our convention not in Atlanta, but we're uh, in Columbus, so it's not in the jurisdiction of Fulton County. Although I wouldn't put it past um, Fulton to ask Columbus to to do something uh, to to try to arrest Trump um, if they uh, if they wanted to. But I don't think I don't think they'll do that um, at all. Um, I, I don't think they uh, I, and I don't think Columbus would do it. I think they would wouldn't want to. I, I, I don't think the Secret Service would take kindly to any of that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, exactly. And they're just yeah. They, but but yes, there's so I'm you know, the there and already the reaction against what they've done in Fulton County is such that among our folks that they I think they've been chastened somewhat as well. But yeah. but you're right. I mean, this is, I think, an enduring reason to why President Trump is so popular and will uh, most likely uh, be the nominee. Uh, I won't say in a walk, but he will probably win fairly convincingly the nomination uh, because he has a, a record of being the only member, the only only member of the president's club who was not part of that circle of perpetual self-reinforcement, self-assistance. You think about it. Think about all the crimes and the unconstitutional actions that have been committed by presidents throughout, the, you know, since the Second World War. I mean, you could go back all through history, but since the Second World War, just take that benchmark, since, since Truman's administration. Think about all the unconstitutional, the, the wiretappings, the violations of the First Amendment, Second Amendment, all the amendments, the violations of the Bill of Rights, and think about it, not a single president or even someone close to a president has really ever been held accountable for it. Now, people say, what about Nixon? You know, Nixon basically did nothing. He, he, he contemplated covering up for some loyal subordinates of his who acted stupidly in a political, you know, at the Watergate and breaking the Watergate complex. But there's no evidence he ever actually did anything. He just talked about it. And he was, in, he, he was forced out of office in basically a, a coup, a very American coup, um, because he was hated by the deep state at this time. But think about all the other presidents. Nothing ever happened to them. All the things they did wrong, nothing ever happened to them. Only one president has ever faced, you know, an indictment. And why, And it was the president who was fighting against the deep state. Only two presidents. Think about it. The two most aggressive enemies of the deep state, Richard Nixon and Donald Trump, the only ones who've been, and I think that tells you something. Donald Trump is a true threat to the Uniparty. Unlike the Bushes, unlike McCain, unlike Romney, he is a genuine threat to the uniparty consensus that runs the country, and so he has to be made an example of. And people know that. At their visceral gut level, they know this is the first guy in their lifetimes who has really challenged the system at its, at its, you know, at its uh, base, at its root, his very existence. Even if he himself doesn't understand the full import of the four 
the full import of his uh, of him of his role as a historic figure. And you know, even if he isn't as good at perhaps the administrative or governing side, just him standing up as a living symbol to the fact that it is possible to defeat the uniparty duopoly, that cannot be allowed to stand. He has to be driven into, you know, into the dirt by the, by the uniparty, by the deep state, because his example cannot be allowed to happen again. There, the slogan of Washington in both the Republican and Democrat factions of the uniparty is never again. Never again will we allow a figure like Trump into the White House, no matter what we have to do. And so the only way we're going to get him back in the White House or anyone like him is to have that same kind of a people's re revolution, electoral revolution, in every way as important as the Jacksonian Revolution of the 1820s, and the American Revolution of the 1776, only with ballots instead of bullets, and the Jeffersonian Revolution of 1800, which took power out of the hands of the elitist Federalists and put it into the hands of the peoples of the Jeffersonian Party, which represented the people. Um, I appreciate you bearing with me on that long rant, but I mean, yeah, this... His, 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 this is a truly historic man who's been placed in an unprecedented situation, and people get it. They, they don't know the history, but they get it. He has put his very freedom on the line for them, and people respect that. No one else can say that. And if he can articulate that in this campaign, he's going to win the nomination easily. He just, he just asked the crowd, who else is facing jail for you? Who else is facing jail to stand up for you? I'm the only one. That's powerful. So last question on that vein, it's obvious that no one can win this presidency without winning Georgia. And I don't think anyone could say we have free elections in Georgia at this point. So as a member of the Republican Party, how do we remedy that prior to 2024? I know you've talked about it a lot, but the party has really not. So what are your thoughts on that? We're, we're operating under something of a disadvantage, no question about it. The only, the only thing I can say is that Operating under disadvantages has not uh, stopped us from winning before. We could, we were facing a disadvantage in Pennsylvania in 2016. We won. We were facing a disadvantage. Republicans were facing Chicago, the Chicago machine in 2014, and we won the governor's race um, by a pretty strong margin. And even though we had, we're fighting literally Chicago, the Chicago machine, we still managed to win the governor's race there in 2014 and the Senate race in 2010. So. It is not impossible. It's not easy, and it's not. And we do have certain structural disadvantages, and we're working to to try to get rid of those, to remedy those disadvantages. But it is not our job to ensure that the road is perfectly easy. It is our job to do everything we can to save this country, to do our duty. God doesn't call us to fight when the playing field is perfectly even. He calls us to fight because it's the right thing to do to do our duty and the results are up to him. The duty is ours and the consequences are God's. And I will add that God that the Lord likes to show up when the odds are long. If the odds were perfectly even, there would be there's no miracle in that. But when we're like Gideon's 300 against the whole army of Midian or David in his five smooth stones versus Goliath, that's where the, God likes to show up because that's where he shows his power to take ordinary, outnumbered, under-equipped individuals and fill them with his spirit to be able to achieve extraordinary things that, that they could never have accomplished without his help. I sure would like to have God put the fear of God in the Republican Party to say, let's go to paper ballots. Um, I think that would make life a lot easier for this republic. But uh, that's all I have, Bill. Okay. 
Well, uh, Brant, once again, let's remind folks how to reach you, learn more, and anything else you want to share uh, coming up to the uh, convention, please. Well, they can call me at 678, or text me is even better, at uh, 678-326-9705. Again, that's 678-326-9705. You can also email me at uh, bfrostv. Uh, it be bfrostv at gmail.com and my website, brantfrost.com. And that's, uh, again, that's brantfrost.com. Easy to remember, it's my name. If you'd like to read about the things I've done and to help in this MAGA movement to and my family and the service we've done, activism, over 30 years now, you can read about our, our record and our, my record at brantfrost.com slash record. We're just putting that up there today. Uh, we don't, as a Christian and a, just a guy who doesn't like to toot his own horn, I don't go out there talking about all the stuff I've done. But since in this campaign, it's been alleged that I've basically been sitting on my hands while Rome burned, uh, we have been compelled to basically lay out our record. And I'll just say this, when you, if you were print out that record of activism and service of the last 30 years, it would take about 30 pages to print out, 38, eight and a half by 11 pages. So I'll stand on my record and I think the folks in Columbus will appreciate it and will vote accordingly. So thank you for all y'all are doing, by the way, and God, God bless you. Independent media is an integral part of our effort to save this country. We could not be successful without the work that you're doing. No, thank you for that. We will look forward to seeing uh, you and your team at the uh, convention. And if, if there's important updates to get out, please reach us and we'll attempt to, uh, to help that process. So thank you again for joining us, Brent. Thank you. And now we have Garland Favorito that we sat down with earlier in the week again, and we're going to roll that interview. He's got a new campaign uh, that he's starting. That he's going to announce at the convention. So let's hear what Garland has to say. We are lucky enough today to be joined by Garland Favorito from Voter GA. Um, Garland, thank you for making time for us today as we get ready for the convention. It's always a pleasure, Bill. Uh, Y'all are doing great things and we want to uh, be available for you anytime. Well, that's very gracious. So um, as we lead up to, uh, you know, to the convention in just another couple of days, tell us how uh, Voter GA will have a presence there, what you're going to be focused on and you know, and how you're concentrating your efforts around the convention, please. Well, thank you for uh, asking, uh, first of all, because uh, that's a, we, we are really excited about this. Um, I, the, uh, I'm really for three reasons. One is uh, I'm, go I'm gonna have a one and a half hour time slot on Friday at 11 o'clock uh, to talk about what we need to do to secure our elections for 2024. So really excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that uh, President Trump is coming. He really has led the election integrity movement uh, throughout the country. Uh, he's the only one that's been honest about it and it's in a political uh, realm. And uh, then uh, the third thing I'm pretty excited about is the fact that um, uh, unfortunately, uh, Vice President Pence couldn't make it, but they uh, decided to fill uh, that slot with Carrie Lake on Friday night, and that sold out immediately. Really excited um, to have her here. I think she uh, got a bad deal uh, in uh, Arizona. Uh, there was clear evidence that Maricopa County did not follow the law, and unfortunately, she didn't get the decision she should have gotten um, through no fault of her or her attorney. So really excited about those things, but we're also going to have a um, a presence there in terms of a booth. And we are 
uh, launching a whole brand new campaign, uh, a legislative campaign as to what we have to do to secure the 2024 elections. And we're calling it Unplug Georgia, Unseal Ballots, and Unleash Trust Through Transparency. So those are the our uh, objectives. We want to have hand-marked paper ballots, hand-counted at the precinct, uh, and marked on uh, security paper, the uh, serialized uh, ballot, uh, security-grade ballot paper. Uh, that would be one uh, of our major objectives. The other one is simply to unseal the ballot and make the ballots public record uh, for inspections that are conducted under the custody of the elections officials. Um, and at uh, their um, their cost and copying and so on for high resolution copies so that we can detect counterfeits or we can um, also um, uh, you know um, verify the unverifiable election results. So that would be done at our expense, the requester's expense, not the taxpayer's expense. So there's no legitimate argument about that. And then the third thing is, um, you know, if you want to have trust in elections, you have to have transparency. So we want to make all of the back-end processes and transparent, all the electronic files subject to open records requests. Most of them are now, but some of the counties don't comply. Um, so that's kind of the overall um, agenda that we're planning on launching. We'll have a whole presentation about this uh, on uh, on Friday at 11 o'clock. So really excited. I, I think it's going to be an election integrity love fest and it's been a long time coming and uh, we are going to be happy to participate in this to the extent uh, and the extreme that we can. Well, that's great. So in, in the past few weeks, I bet you've had the chance to compare notes with some of the candidates uh, running for office in the GOP. Do you sense that they're prepared to step up and support a broad-based push toward election integrity? I, I do, Bill. I'm, I'm really excited because um, uh, the candidates who I believe will win, uh, we have been working with them uh, for some time, actually. Uh, some of them go uh, way, way back. Uh, so I'm uh, pretty excited uh, that we're going to have a really good slate coming in uh, that will actually help us. Uh, chair, uh, chair, first vice chair, second vice chair, uh, all seem to be uh, people, I think, that will be um, helpful to the cause of election integrity because that's really what Republican voters want here in the state of Georgia. And actually, a lot of Democrat voters want those want that too. It's interesting, as, uh, as we've spoken to, boy, quite a bit, uh, quite a few of the candidates, they've reported that the feedback that they're getting back from the counties when they go and meet with the various delegations and so forth, almost to a location is, you know, first thing out of their mouth is, what are you going to do to help election integrity and fix the, the problems that have cropped up? Um, I find that very interesting and, and probably very, very truthful compared to the comments that Mr. Raffensperger made a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C. He seemed to be referring to, you know, gosh, people are getting very comfortable with elections in Georgia. And I, I, it's not what I'm hearing from our candidates. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, we, we did a 42-point document on the lies that Secretary of State Raffensperger has told to government officials. And, uh, and that's out there on the voterga.org studies tab. Anybody can go and look at it and read all the false information he's disseminated 
uh, as the Secretary of State, all to cover up massive election problems that he had in, in 2020. So, uh, yeah, can't really uh, trust his his uh, feeling. But, but the one thing that I'm really happy about is so many people all over the country, all over the state of Georgia, excuse me, are standing up for election integrity, as you said, Bill. Um, I decided about two years ago that um, we have got to educate the people in the state of Georgia. So I made a commitment then, and uh, based, I felt led to do this, uh, that you know that we have got to get the word out. So I've been traveling the state for the last uh, two years just to make one presentation after another to try to get folks educated. So I, I like to think that had a small part to do with it, uh, but we have done everything we can uh, and CD Media has played a great role in this too, is to try to educate the folks in in uh, uh, in the uh, state of Georgia as to what all the problems are. So we're grateful to y'all to you guys as well. Well, that's kind. So on another front, you've had some recent success with uh, your one of your key cases, and and uh, so could you give us a quick update on where you are with the various cases and what we expect? Uh, next is the courts. Sure, sure. Well, I'll start with the Fulton counterfeit ballot case, and then you know, I'll, I'll pause and I can give you the rest of them. Um, so you might have some questions about that. So as you know, the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that, yes, we have had standing all alone. And I, I said this for two years, and you know, even our good friends in some cases didn't believe us. So, um, but sure enough, the uh, you know, as you know, two and a half years ago, the judge said that we had no standing to sue, and uh, quite frankly, to be perfectly honest, that was a blatant lie. The Georgia Supreme Court has confirmed that it was a lie uh, because they unanimously decided that wait a minute, you've always had standing. We they they stated in their decision that we continue to recognize that citizens, residents, taxpayers and now voters have standing to uh, sue election officials or agencies that violate the law. And that's a precedent that has been established since the state was created in 1788. So it was a blatant lie, but it cost us two and a half years. We finally got that case kicked back to the Court of Appeals in uh, December. They sat on it for four months and uh, or actually a little bit longer, I believe. So I think it was May 11th, I believe, before they finally kicked the case back to Judge Amaro. And then Judge Amaro turned around and, and assigned this to Judge McBurney. McBurney has decided to take the case. And he's the guy who presided over the, um, the uh, special grand jury investigation that finally Willis was conducting, as well as David Perdue's matter. And in doing that, he showed tremendous bias, uh, both in dismissing Purdue's case with, with very, uh, very snide remarks about mm -hmm. David Purdue, and, and quite frankly, lies. Uh, and we documented these in our press conference a week or two ago. It's up on voterga.org, the events tab. Um, and uh, he also showed um, prejudice in releasing grand jury information that claimed that some of the witnesses were liars. Well, those witnesses are what we call similarly situated to us because they believe that there was fraud evidence and fraud errors and irregularities in the in the 2020 election. And in fact, we have the evidence we think to prove it. So 
he uh, released conclusion that they uh, claimed that uh, that some of them may have lied to the grand jury. Well, that that is taints our our case. So he has to be removed uh, in any in any legitimate, honest uh, court in America. Uh, Judge McBurney would be recused. We have filed the motion to recuse. I think it's up on Voter GA's site. We put all that evidence in there. Uh, he will have to decide on the sufficiency of our complaint, and then another judge will rule on the recusal motion. And once that's ruled on, hopefully we can get going, get the open discovery, have the inspection, and find out how many counterfeit ballots are in that Fulton County certified results. We know that there's some in there, we just don't know how many. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to all that, and in, in what sounds like the next step is going to be to get a better more uh, reasonable and fair judge involved. Um, just in the last couple of weeks, concerns have now uh, been raised yet again on Jarvis, um, the Salesforce system that you know, Mr. Raffensperger uh, was kind enough to shove into the state of Georgia, um, utilizing Salesforce of all people to manage data. And of course, Salesforce's company underneath Mark Benioff, who sits on the board of the World Economic Foundation, myriad issues we could go into there but what do you what do you sense about this jarvis concern um counties including gwinnett second largest county in the state are reporting erroneous data coming out of jarvis that sounds uh, worrisome to me what do you it's think? it's absolutely scary you can't trust it uh it's unbelievable uh they tried to implement this in january of 2022 it failed uh, the, they tried it again, and now it's obviously failed again. Uh, we uh, got an open records request. One of our supporters found that there are 3,500 tickets on that Jarvis system. Now, obviously, some of them might be duplicated across county. By tickets, you're referring to technical complaints? Technical support tickets, yes. In other words, fixes needed. Yeah, uh, wow. 3,500, they said that it would take months to fulfill the open records request. Uh, it's absolutely insane. Uh, but even worse than all of that was the fact that it never should have been implemented in the first place. And uh, the um, there were three reasons for that. First of all, Secretary of State outsourced voter registration data, uh, private data, to a cloud in violation of Georgia law, which election privacy law says you cannot do that. And in addition to scope of authority of the General Assembly, they never gave him that kind of power to yeah. do that. So that was uh, two violations of law. But then on top of that, he did it with a no bid contract. And it was a three and a half million dollar contract, but he was supposed to get a bid on anything over 100,000. And he used a, a, a blanket purchase order to circumvent Georgia law. All of that to the detriment of every voter in the state of Georgia. Uh, it's an absolute disgrace. We have since modified that lawsuit back in January of this year to also seek the banning of ERIC. Uh, that is the same problem. Uh, it's outsourcing voter registration data to a cloud or to a third party in this case, not technically a cloud. And we have subpoenaed the Connick servers out in Los Angeles. We know that they are, uh, they have uh, data that is uh, Georgia resident data, and they shouldn't be on a server that was 
uh, basically controlled by Chinese uh, programmers on the backbone of an internet backbone that was owned by the communist Chinese government. This is insane. Uh, it's it's you couldn't make this stuff up, Bill. It's just unbelievable. We're we're doing everything we can to hold uh, the Secretary of State accountable. Boy, tall tall order, but super important, especially when you consider, you know, personally identifying information that may now be technically owned by China if in fact it's made its way there. Um, right. because that's the way they define their laws in China. So a lot of work, to, a lot of work to be done. Um, let's see. So it, as we, uh, you know, as we go forward, one of the, you know, one of the things that, uh, I think we probably ought to think about is what's going on locally. We seem to be making some headway with certain aspects of election integrity. Um, tomorrow Fulton, uh, Fulton's County commission will take a vote whether to allow, um, you know, the Republicans onto their board of elections. So maybe if you could speculate, what do you think is going to happen there? Do you, what are the dynamics that you've seen so far? And what do you think could happen if in fact that comes to fruition? Well, I don't know of any law that allows the commission to decide who Republicans or Democrats um, appoint to the board. As far as I know, uh, they don't have that jurisdiction or authority. So the Republicans get to appoint who they want and the Democrats get to appoint who they want. Uh, there is a formality, I think, of approval, but um, it's not, um, uh, as I, I'm not aware of, of them um, being able to override what a political party has decided to do. Uh, there are some pending cases which are interesting. One of them is up in Cherokee that, says that private entities such as Democrat and Republican parties don't have authority to appoint any members to the board. That should be done all public. So, But that's another aside, another case that's going through the system right now. But So I don't see how they can vote uh, to prevent uh, any board member from being uh, placed on the board if it's the will of the, of the political party at this time. And if they're going to follow the law as it stands, yeah? Right. Hopefully they will be um, insightful enough to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Anything else that's important for folks to know? I know that you know there's going to be a lot of activity, a lot of different moving parts when folks get to the convention. You mentioned, I think, that you're going to be have a physical presence there. Do you, can you advise how they can look to uh, to find you guys when they arrive? We'll be in the vendor area, and it'll probably be one of the most crowded uh, tables in there. So uh, we have got a new campaign. We've got a ton of T-shirts that are just really, really st stellar. They're custom designed shirts that we will have there uh, for unplugging, unplugging Georgia, unsealing the ballots, and um, unleashing trust in, through transparency. We're going to have all of that there for uh, you know free with donations and. Um, we are I'm really excited about it. I think it's just going to be a fantastic event for us. Well, that's great. We will uh, we'll certainly see you there. We'll have various roles for uh, myself and uh, and Todd Wood, our, uh, our founder and publisher. So we're looking forward to being there and uh, looking forward to the uh, session that you have on Friday morning. You said it was 11 or 1130? Uh, 11 o'clock to 1230. So I got a full hour and a half and I'm going to make really good use of that time. We'll have a long Q&A session. 
Uh, we're hoping to get some legislators in there who can make a difference. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our, our, our patriots have filled up the seats uh, real quickly. But um, so we might end up preaching to the choir, but uh, whatever it is, we'll get the word distributed to these legislators. We need their help because it's really up to them to save uh, Georgia for 2024. And they're going to have to get on the ball really fast. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, uh, we will look forward to seeing you. And, and I'm sure folks will be delighted to hear about the new campaign. Um, thank you for making time today. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of days at the convention, Garland. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Bill. Well, Bill, thanks for joining me today, and we look forward to your, your help at the convention. And uh, anything you want to say before we close? No, we're delighted to, uh, you know, to be there, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, providing good information from the floor. Excellent. See you guys uh, Sunday after the live convention, and we'll have a Georgia 24 show wrap-up. Thank you.